This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com, author of the book, Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys said- on the line, I've got Hassan El-Tayeb from the Friends Committee on National Legislation. That's fcnl.org. And they're the Quaker Peace Lobby in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the show. How in the hell are you? Scott, thanks so much. I'm doing well. Get, getting ready for the Yemen Super Bowl on the House floor tomorrow. Tomorrow is the big vote, huh? So tell me all about it. Who's in the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, Rep. Rokana uh, from California has introduced an amendment to cut off all support to the Saudi-led coalition's war and blockade. That includes logistical support intel sharing, spare parts, and maintenance. And all of that's really critical for Saudi operations, um, including, you know, they've been doing airstrikes even as recently as, uh, you know, late March of this year on the airport. And um, uh, it's it's really causing, uh, you know, and helped driving uh, the world's worst humanitarian crisis and pushed 16 million people to the brink of famine. And so we have real a real unique opportunity here I mean, this is the first time this has happened with Democrats in control of the House, Senate, and the White House. A similar provision actually passed uh, back in the uh, FY 2020 NDAA, uh, and you can remember FY 2021, a similar provision was passed as well, but they all got stripped out in conference, you know, in large part because of pressure on the Hill, but also because Trump was president at that point. Uh, so this is really, you know, this uh, really important moment where we're going to find out if the Biden administration does want to put a human rights and uh, human rights based foreign policy first. Yeah, well, let me ask you this. What happened? I thought we already had a deal. OK, I kind of thought so. Actually, I did think so. I think we talked about this and I was convinced at the time that Biden meant it when he said, we're calling off all this support. We're going to help the Saudis shoot down Houthi drones or missiles crossing the border into Saudi, but we're not going to help them wage the war anymore. And then I guess it was two months later, Admiral Kirby announced that now nah, we're still maintaining their airplanes. At least as far as I know, they've continued every bit of their support. Certainly the Navy is still helping to enforce the blockade. So they really haven't canceled anything. Was it just, they did that PR stunt that relieved a little bit of pressure, and then they were able to just change the subject to Afghanistan or something else? 
Um, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll start off by saying that the Biden administration did make uh, several significant changes from the Trump administration. They lifted the foreign terror organization designation on the Houthis, which would right. have you know really cut off humanitarian aid access. So that right. was that great. was that was really important. Yeah. Yep. They restored, it. but to be honest, not doing so is a radical position. So let's just put that out there. Um, the restoring of all USAID funding to northern uh, the northern parts of Yemen, where the you know Houthis are the de facto government, that was another uh, you know important piece. They you know said that they wanted to support diplomacy. That was more than we we saw Trump do, and you know we did see an announcement for an end to offensive operations. Unfortunately, the devil's kind of in the details there, and. They never really clarified what that offensive or defensive support even was. Did that include, um, you know, spare parts maintenance? Did that include the blockade? Did that include just airstrikes coming into, uh, you know, any drone attacks from the Houthis coming into Saudi territory? Or were they going to do preemptive attacks on Houthi facilities? What did it mean for Marib? And a lot of that wasn't really clear at the time. And then we did learn that that ongoing spare parts and maintenance was still happening from the Pentagon. We also learned that the the U.S. was going to play a military advising role. And they didn't really clarify exactly what they said, defensive purposes. So uh, unfortunately, we're now seeing uh, the war just drag on and on and on, and the blockade drag on and on and on. So that's why I think it's really critical. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but the spare parts and maintenance of these Saudi warplanes are integral to their ongoing, you know, daily operations. You know, I, maybe it's not every single time it lands, but at least nearly every single time it land, one of these F-15s land, you need the steady flow of spare parts and maintenance from these trained contractors and that's something that the U.S. can cut off and should cut off. And that's exactly what the Kana Amendment is trying to do. Mm -hmm. All right. So now, you know, uh, wet your finger in the wind kind of thing. How's the pressure feel right now compared to when he was sworn in and people were saying, now you better live up to your promise like in your promise, dude. We, we have – there's several things going on. I, I, I definitely – I, I definitely think folks are still on, on the Hill, at least, um, and the American public, uh, who on the vast majority, when polled, want us out of the Saudi-led war in Yemen. But right now, Congress is in this key moment. They're going to have to take this vote on Thursday. The debates are actually happening today at 3.30 Eastern, if folks want to tune in to hear what kind of hear what folks are saying. Now, we have Chairman Adam Smith is a co-sponsor of the Kana Amendment to cut off all the support. That's really good for, for people that want to end support for the war. Unfortunately, Chairman Meeks and Chairman Deutsch uh, on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and uh, uh, House Foreign Affairs Middle East Subcommittee, they have not co-sponsored. Uh, they actually put forward their own amendment, uh, which on Yemen, they put forward several, but you know, one on Yemen, that also claims that they want to, you know, address the crisis in Yemen. Unfortunately, that amendment is significantly weaker than the Kana provision, and it's really hard to see how any of that would be enforceable. So, uh, you know, we're concerned that that may drain support on the floor mm -hmm. of the House. You know, people might say, well, we don't want to go all the way. Let's just support the Meeks Amendment. But our job right now in the advocacy community 
is to try to push for a yes vote on Tana unconditionally. We need to make that happen. And, um, you know, if folks do want to get involved, they can go to, uh, they can actually use a phone line that FCNL and Demand Progress set up, 1-833-STOP-WAR. Great. And now let me ask you this. I know that um, there are a couple of good Republicans on this in the Senate, but in the House, do you have any kind of bipartisanship here? Yeah, so... If we look back at the FY 2020 NDAA that did pass, we had 240 votes. Uh, you know, we had Biggs, Buck, Cloud, Davison, Massey, Mooney, Roy, Schweikert, Upton. Uh, you know, so it was about a dozen or so. I didn't name them all, but that that was a significant chunk. Mm -hmm. We're hoping that that coalition of Republicans, uh, you know, who do care about war powers and the fact that only Congress can declare war under Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, um, that they stick with us. And, and hopefully we, we grab a couple more Republicans on the vote, like Meyer and Mace and others. Um, so that's the thinking, is that we, you know, we build on this Republican uh, coalition in the House. Now, we also have about 17 new freshman uh, Democrats, and I think getting them to stick with this vote and making sure that they understand the significance of this and the fact that it's the water is fine, you know, come on in. It's already been passed several times. Let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, um, and now you mentioned Meeks and who was the other one who were, uh, the two of them, I think he said are sponsoring sort of this watered down version for other members to hide behind as they vote to continue the war essentially. Yeah, so Meeks and Deutsch, Deutsch, you know, it's it's. I think it's really critical. Like, in my opinion, it would be, you know, we just need to get the Kana Amendment through. I'm hoping that they will uh, vote the right way, both Meeks and Deutsch, and they had in the FY 2020 NDAA already, mm -hmm. and they both voted for the Yemen War Powers Resolution. So, so not doing so now would be a real departure. And I think we got to ask why are they putting forward an amendment that does less than what they've already voted for? It's, it's kind of so. Listen, my excuse is I'm in Austin right now, but why don't you just march on over to their offices and talk to their guys and see about this? I mean, it's such an obvious ploy. Oh, here's the weak version, but it sounds the same. So people can vote for the weak version to undermine the good one. But yeah, like if we got, I don't know, everybody who listened to this show to all call Meeks and Deutsch's office and send them emails and send them telegrams if people still do that. I know those pile up in real space time and that kind of matters some, yeah. but, uh, if, if, if the phone is ringing off the hook and people are saying, Hey, listen, man, we don't want this watered down thing. We're looking for the, you know, we demand you support this Kana amendment or whatever. I mean, that might move the thing. And if you and your buddies go show up knocking on the door at the office and saying, Hey, what is this? You guys were great on this last year. Don't make us stop loving you. You know, then that might help. Scott, I think that's exactly what we need right now. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment for people out there that do care about constitutional war authority and the fact that, no, we should not have the executive branch running over Congress and the American people every time they want to support an unauthorized war. Um, this is something we can do about it, and I think this is, you know, and if we can't win on Yemen, the world's worst humanitarian crisis, what can we win on, right? 
So yeah. I think that's critical. That one eight three three stop war number I mentioned actually mm-hmm. connects you first to your representative asking them to vote yes, and then it patches you into Meeks. So so that that's a great tool for people to use. You know, obviously, you know, you could probably find the emails online or or you know through their personal uh, house websites. But but that that call tool, I think, is really helpful if folks do want to take a moment today and, and try to make a difference on Yemen. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, y'all check out our great stuff at libertarianinstitute.org slash books. First of all, we've published No Quarter, The Ravings of William Norman Grigg, our institute's late and great co-founder. He was the very best one of us. Our whole movement, I mean. And no quarter will leave his mark on you, no question. Which brings us to the works of our other co-founder, the legendary libertarian thinker and writer Sheldon Richman. We've published two collections of his great essays, Coming to Palestine and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other. Both are instant classics. I'm proud to say that Coming to Palestine is surely the definitive libertarian take on Israel's occupation of the Palestinians. And Social Animals certainly ranks with the very best writings on libertarian ethics, economics, and everything else. You'll absolutely love it. Then there's me. I've written two books, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've also published a collection of the transcripts of all of my interviews of the heroic Dr. Ron Paul, 29 of them, plus a speech by me about how much I love the guy. It's called The Great Ron Paul. You can find all of these at libertarianinstitute.org slash books. Uh, man, I'm sorry, I wish I had an idea, but I know what we need here is a stunt. We need somebody with an important name to get on cable news this afternoon. Or we need, I don't know, some movie star to put out a viral tweet. Maybe that big boobs rapper lady could say something about it or something. You know, get we need something to move the needle here right now when it really matters. I, I agree, and I know a lot of your listeners are actually in the L.A. area. That's where all the Hollywood stars are. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping one of them can help us. <laughs> yeah, well, problem is this show isn't going to air on L.A. radio until Sunday. And okay. so <laughs> that's not going to cut it this week. Um, uh, and, and you know what? I don't even really know anybody at my own radio station out there to put you in touch with. Uh, you know what? I, I guess I, I sort of kind of do. I'll, I'll see yeah. what I, I'll, I'll try to think of something after we're done here. Yeah. Yeah. We have some buddies, you know, our uh, Mark Ruffalo, who we're connected with, has been fantastic on the Yemen, um, on the Yemen question. And, in trying to end this unauthorized support and bring an end to the blockade. I mean, if for a second, I just really would love to tell people about the stakes of this vote and why this matters so much. I mean, the ongoing blockade that's cutting off the free flow of food, fuel, medicine, and clean water, more, more specifically this year, uh, the Saudis have been blocking you know, hundreds of thousands of metric tons of fuel from getting into the Red Sea ports. And that fuel is critical for transporting food, for powering hospitals. And when you've got the world's worst, uh, you know, one of the world's worst hunger crises 
Uh, you've got, you know, cholera, you've got COVID, you've got children suffering from severe acute malnutrition. You need those hospitals online. You need those, uh, you know, you need food to get into the mouths of, you know, millions of Yemeni kids. And so if we're actively playing a role in supporting these warplanes who are, in fact, enforcing the blockade, continuing to do these airstrikes and, you know, deluding people on the hill deluding the Saudis that they can continue this war with a blank check from the U.S., uh, you know, we're just going to see this thing drag out until, you know, people understand the facts on the ground and really and make, you know, significant policy changes that, you know, are in the best interest of not Mohammed bin Salman, but Yemeni people, Yemeni men, women and children who are suffering from this blockade. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm really worried, but we have a chance to do something about it, Scott. And I really appreciate you uh, using your platform to highlight this issue. Well, look, I mean, I don't really know what's going on in the Congo. I don't follow that one enough. And I know the Americans are involved. I interviewed a guy about this a few years ago who told me some crazy stuff, but I just haven't kept up with that one. But otherwise, I, I do know about the rest of the wars in Africa, you know, which are all American wars pretty much. Um, and throughout Eurasia, and I'm fairly certain, spin the globe, that what's happening in Yemen right now, the American war in Yemen, is the worst thing in the world that's going on today. And I think yeah. it's also fair. And you tell me if you if you think that this is right, if, if you um, if you know of any other examples that I'm not thinking of or whatever. But I think, you know, and I'm willing to go with the less conservative estimates too on sort of the excess death rate in all of the different wars where there's this doctor's organization that put out a thing that estimated as many as 2 million people have been killed in the wars. Not obviously yeah. directly by U.S. airstrikes, but in the various civil wars and and all the rest. But that includes Iraq and Syria and Yemen and Somalia and Libya, Afghanistan, Pakistan, the whole 20 years of war here. And I'll buy that. I think it's probably a million just from Iraq War II, right around there. Um, and so yeah. I'll buy that. But at the same time, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, I really don't think that they have had a, ever since Iraq War I, uh, I don't think this whole time in this century, that they've had a policy of deliberately destroying the civilian infrastructure, the water, the sewage, the electricity, the markets, trying to really destroy the civilian population. It's all happened anyway. They call it collateral damage and they don't give a damn. So don't get, I'm not apologizing for them. But I think this one is unique. In the 20 years of war, where they go, oh, no, we're leading from behind. It's the Saudi war. It's somebody else's war. We're just helping a little. But in fact, America's the superpower, and Saudi is the client state. And they have a policy of deliberately bombing the farms and the markets and the fishermen and the grain silos and the rest of it. You've all heard me go through this 100 times. Martha Mundy has that great study about how they target all the farms and food infrastructure. They build a cholera hospital because we give them cholera, and then they bomb the cholera hospital. I mean, this is... Look, if Iran or Russia or China were in the middle of doing this right now in outer Mongolia or in, you know, Azerbaijan or just make up a thing, this would be the worst thing, absolutely, the top headline in every paper, on every cable TV news show. This is the greatest emergency on the planet Earth. The fact that nobody gives a damn about it or talks about it doesn't make that not so. And I don't know of anything that compares to it. 
Yeah, well said. Um, it, it's it's tragic, and it's absolutely tragic that it's being done at all. But really tragic to know that our tax dollars make us complicit in the world's worst humanitarian crisis, and. Uh, and we got something to do. We have a lot of work to do. We've been, you know, I've been on this show a number of times. We've been talking about this issue. And I call it the Yemen Super Bowl because the dynamics are different now with, you know, there's kind of no excuse. The Biden administration already said that they support ending offensive operations. They want to bring this war to a close. Democrats have all taken this position. Will they follow through on the promise? That's the big question. And we're going to find out tomorrow around four o'clock Eastern. So, you know, if folks do have the bandwidth and want to make a call, one eight three three stop war is a great way to make your voice heard. Uh, you know, let Chairman Meeks know that, you know, we need to see the Kana Amendment pass through. Absolutely. Thank you so much for all your great work on this. And again, everybody, the website is fcnl.org. And the uh, phone number again is 833-STOP-WAR. We're going to put this out, you know, today quickly, uh, I hope, and uh, have enough time to make a little bit of a difference. And you know what? Actually, let me ask you one more thing. I know you got to go, but, you know, me and my audience, too, we're all a bunch of extremely jaded libertarians. And uh, I certainly don't believe in democracy. And I have to tell you, I have a hard time believing that anybody on Capitol Hill gives a damn what me or my audience says if we call them and beg them nicely to do the right thing on a war. So can you convince me somehow that no, it really does make a difference, man, or something? So you're asking a really important question that I, I think we should unpack over a couple beers at some point. <laughs> but but I've seen individuals make massive amounts of change on Capitol Hill and in surprising ways that you might not expect. So the passage of the first Yemen War Powers Resolution in 2018, a lot of people thought we were crazy. Why are you even trying to do this? There's no, there's no point. And, you know, right after that, we saw an end to mid-air refueling by the United States. We stopped supporting the actual, you know, uh, fighter jets that Saudis were using in that particular way. And we got the sides to agree to the Hodeida ceasefire. You know, we forced more votes. We saw the UAE, you know, get their troops out of Yemen. So we have made a difference with these with these votes. It's not everything, you know. We haven't we haven't won the the entire World Series. We haven't. Or going back to my old metaphor, we haven't won the Yemen Super Bowl yet, as far as ending U.S. complicity. But we have made a difference, and I think if we can double down in the next twenty four to forty eight hours on everything we have done and try to you know make sure the House of Representatives gets this through. Um, you know, we're going to do something really important for the people of Yemen. Right on. Okay. Thank you so much again for your time, Hassan, for all your great efforts here, bud. You got it, man. We'll talk. Okay, guys. That's Hassan El Tayeb, FCNL.org, and 833-STOP-WAR. I'm going to call him right now. The Scott Horton Show and Anti-War Radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSRadio.com, AntiWar.com, ScottHorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org.